BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Let's start in San Diego, where community advocates and civil rights leaders are calling for changes following another in-custody death reported in the San Diego County jail system this week. The death of 38-year-old inmate Gerald Lacey was reported on Monday and is the result of a blood clot in his lungs, according to a preliminary autopsy. But Lacey's is the seventh in-custody death this year in San Diego County jails. Shane Harris with the group People's Association of Justice Advocates says he and other community leaders met with interim Sheriff Anthony Ray on Tuesday to discuss what's happening. Going to jail should not be a death sentence. And that is what I told the sheriff and that is what I asked the sheriff to think about when he goes home at night. The most recent jailhouse death comes on the heels of a new report from the Citizens Law Enforcement Review Board that shows San Diego has the highest jail mortality rate among California's 12 largest counties. Back in February, the state auditor released similar findings, calling the conditions in jails dangerous for inmates. California has tough new penalties on the books regarding wage theft. That's when employers don't pay workers what they're actually owed. Well, a state hearing on alleged wage theft at six Burger King franchises in San Francisco started this week. As KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports, this comes after state investigators found employers broke labor laws affecting hundreds of workers. Nearly two years ago, investigators with the California Labor Commissioner's Office cited Golden Gate Restaurant Group and three individual owners for about $2 million. The agency charged the employers failed to pay minimum wage, overtime, and meal and rest breaks to more than 200 employees. Advocates say fast food franchises have thin profit margins and are often tempted to cut corners with workers' paychecks. The employers in this case have all appealed the citation and because of long delays at the Labor Commissioner's office, a hearing to resolve the case just got started. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero.
How do fewer hours of work for the same amount of pay sound to you? Well, a bill that aims to cut California's work week down to 32 hours from the usual 40 is working its way through the state legislature. The proposed legislation would apply to companies in the state with more than 500 employees. At the national level, meanwhile, similar legislation has been introduced in Congress by Riverside County Congressman Mark Takano. Private industry groups are against the idea, more about that in a bit, but writer and future Alex Sujung Kim Pong is a champion of working fewer hours a week. He wrote about it in his recent book, Shorter, and joins us now. So, Alex, what's the very best single argument for reducing the American and California work week? The single best argument is that it's good for workers, it's good for companies, it's good for economies and the environment, which might be four answers in one, but the reality is it's not something that is a concession like wrestled from companies or from managers. It's actually something that we have seen around the world in a variety of industries benefiting everybody equally. And why in particular good for, let's just take two of those, workers and the companies they work for? For companies, the move to a four-day week is one that sort of forces them to think a lot about how they use technology, how they use time to encourage greater sort of collaboration and cooperation between employees to look for efficiencies or to get rid of inefficiencies. And so, you know, the end result is that almost all companies find that they're able to to do in four days what previously had taken them five or more, while, you know, at the same time, sometimes, you know, reducing their electricity bills, their carbon footprints, ending up with a happier workforce with people who are less stressed, less likely to burn out, and often also with managers or founders and CEOs who also share the benefits of better work-life balance, greater resilience, and lower levels of stress. You know, private industry has blasted these ideas the California Chamber of Commerce is, is calling this California bill a, a job killer. We don't need to get into the particulars of their arguments, but, but do you at least acknowledge that it would be tougher for some industries to do this and some kind of workers versus other kind of workers? You know, it's certainly the case that for, for example, seasonal workers, it's harder to, to implement a four-day week, right? If you are working construction and there's not a lot happening in the Rocky Mountains on building sites in December and January anyway, or to figuring out how to implement a four-day week may be a little bit more difficult. However, I think that you know, we have seen enough examples across restaurants, nursing homes, you know, factories, as well as doing so with the support and often sort of inspiration from top management. Richard Nixon in 1956 talked about how the four-day week was just around the corner thanks to great Republican stewardship of the economy. Hmm. How many hours a week do you work? You know, I tend to work more like four or five solid hours six or seven days because I've got clients in Europe, I've got or collaborators in New Zealand and in Asia. So I tend to be sort of time shifting a little bit more. All right. That is Alex Sujung Kim Pong. He's a futurist and author of the book Shorter, where he advocates for a shorter work week. Alex, thanks for joining us on the California Report. Great to talk to you, Saul. Thanks for having me. Now, the legislation to shorten the work week is already facing major pushback from private industry. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has that part of the story. The California Chamber of Commerce says it would significantly increase labor costs for employers. 
In fact, the chamber estimates the bill would result in a minimum 10% increase in wages per employee each week. Ashley Hoffman is a policy advocate for the chamber and says if the legislation is approved, it could have long-term impacts for the state. We did some analysis on the bill and estimate that it could end up in job losses of, you know, upwards of 340,000. Um, up to potentially a million jobs, um, just because of the sheer increase in cost. Hoffman says the chamber will continue to advocate for more cost-effective workplace changes, like having individuals be able to arrange more flexible work schedules with their employers, or relaxing some of the strict time requirements when it comes to taking breaks. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And let's stay on workplace issues. Amazon's warehouse workers are getting injured twice as often as workers at other warehouses across the country. And in California, the rates are even higher. That's according to a new study out from a labor union coalition based in the Inland Empire. KQED's Aditi Bandlamudi has more. Last year, CEO Jeff Bezos promised shareholders Amazon would become the Earth's safest place to work. In truth, the online retailers' warehouses have become more dangerous in recent years, according to Sheheryar Kaozji. He's executive director of the Warehouse Workers Resource Center, a labor advocacy group based in Ontario. The very quick shipping is not some magic that comes from from an algorithm or a machine. It comes from human beings running and working really fast. Kaozji's group is working with an umbrella group called the Strategic Organizing Center, which analyzed five years of injury records Amazon filed with the U.S. Occupational Health and Safety Administration, or OSHA. According to those statistics, the more than 120 logistics facilities Amazon runs in California collectively have an injury rate 60% higher than rival warehouses. The result on one end is record profits for Amazon, And the result on the other end is uh, record injury rates for their employees. Amazon tripled its profits during the pandemic. In a statement, a company spokesperson blamed the surge in injuries on the rush to meet surging demand from consumers stuck at home, adding the company, quote, still has more work to do. This year, a new state law restricts the kinds of algorithmically driven quotas companies like Amazon use, especially if they encourage workers to move so fast they get injured. But it's April. The law's only been in effect for three months. For The California Report, I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.
There's been a troubling rise in anti-Asian violence in California, but that's been met with a pushback against the racism. That includes efforts by Asian American teachers to get their communities' histories into more schools. From Los Angeles, here's KPCC's Josie Huang. In her Irvine High School classroom, Virginia Wynn has been covering World War II. On this day, she's turned to the incarceration of Japanese Americans. What might rate for a shorter discussion in another class is for Wynn an opportunity. They built homes, barns, and farms on inland coastal slopes of the Irvine Ranch. Wynn projects black and white photos of Japanese families working and playing in Laguna Beach, Newport Beach. Now try to imagine what that would feel like when you're leaving your home because your government suspects that because of your ethnic background that you are a threat to the country. And for many of these people, it's the only country that they know. The daughter of Vietnamese refugees, Nguyen takes care to weave Asian-American perspectives into her history lessons. When she was in high school, all she learned about Vietnamese Americans was in a unit about the Vietnam War. And it was told from the point of view that Vietnamese people who came to the United States was because America felt ashamed of what happened and this was their way of making it right. And so from there, that was how I felt America felt about Vietnamese. Wynn hopes more teachers will center the stories of Asian Americans. A conference she's helping to plan at UC Irvine this month will offer educators guidance. It's one of many grassroots efforts nationwide. The last year saw teachers and parents push through laws mandating that Asian American history be taught in public schools in Illinois and New Jersey. Meanwhile, groups are writing and sharing curriculum. We said, well, we should reach a million American youth in the next four or five years. Stuart Quo is an L.A. civil rights leader who, with his wife, Pat Lee Quo, worked with educators and documentarians to create the Asian American Education Project. In California, Asian Americans are among the groups that policymakers want to see covered in ethnic studies, a required class for graduation starting in 2030. Quo says his group is prepping schools to offer Asian American studies. There's almost no classes. There's no materials. There's no consistency. Quo says this is despite Asians having made crucial contributions to the country's foundation. Legal challenges brought by Asian Americans set precedent for birthright citizenship, as well as the rights of English language learners. Such milestones are covered in the dozens of lesson plans that Quo's team shares online. We've actually trained over 1,100 teachers all around the country of all different backgrounds. Just 2% of teachers nationwide are of Asian descent, so the lessons will likely be taught by someone who's not Asian. We want that. We're glad. But you tend not to teach what you don't know. And so we are trying to provide them history. Quo says teaching that history will give Asian Americans more allies. High school senior Stephanie Hu says it would also change how some Asian Americans view themselves. Growing up in South Orange County, she was treated as foreign. Kids pulled their eyes back at her, spoke gibberish. And I think that really isolated me from my culture and made me really feel ashamed of it. COVID brought more of the same. Strangers moved away from her at the grocery store. A classmate joked about avoiding places with Asian people. But who said these experiences actually made her identify more with being Asian American and wishing she knew more of her history? I wonder if I would have been able to accept and embrace my culture at a sooner point had that curriculum been incorporated in my history class. When Virginia Wynn hears this kind of regret, it's a reminder of why she chose her profession. Teachers are so powerful because I think it's an opportunity for us to define what is American. 
we are literally picking and choosing how students see themselves and how they can see the world around them. Wynn's contributing to a new educational tool. UCLA is developing a website on Asian Americans and Pacific Islander history meant to serve as a digital textbook for students. Wynn's working on a section about the Vietnamese American experience because who best to write your history than yourself? For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang in Irvine. And we'll note that Stuart Quo, who is in that story, is an honorary life trustee for Southern California Public Radio. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, April 13th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital providing people with financial tools like the Retirement Planner to help them achieve their financial goals, personalcapital.com. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.